to see a few new faces here today. I was, uh, I've made a new friend over the past few weeks. His name is Dr. William Hinn, and his congregation, which is called Resurrection Life Center, is going to be doing their meetings in here on Sunday evenings. And I wanted to introduce him today, but he had a, a family engagement that he could, wasn't able to make it. So I uh, want to just uh, wanted to thank him for being here, and I uh, can't do that now. So anyway, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm looking forward to the relationship that we're going to have here and being able to serve them until they're able to find a facility of their own. So um, that's new that's happening. Also, I'd like for you to take a look at your front page of your worship folder. We're getting ready to give. And as you notice, we had a lot of people traveling last week, and there were some people that forgot to tithe. And so this week, we're going to give you a chance to make that up. Amen? So as our ushers are coming forward right now, if you need a giving envelope, there's one in your worship folder, or there's one on the bench next to you, the seat next to you, and you can prepare your gifts and your offering for the Lord. Remember that your giving goes to fund all the ministries here at Calvary Christian Center to reach out to our community, to fund missionaries around the world, and to do God's work and build his kingdom. While we're receiving our offering, go ahead and uh, open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, before we start, I want to thank uh, Brother Brian Salazar for preaching for me last week. I, I heard he gave an incredible message. Go ahead. Give honor where honors due. As I said, he's one of my favorite speakers to listen to, and so uh, I haven't had, we did, it is, the message is up on our Facebook page. If you weren't here last week, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, because we had a flood in our house this week. Praise God! Amen? Praise God! We had eight commercial fans running through the house for 24 hours a day, you know, someone turn these things off, you know, my ears are still ringing. But I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We've been, um, I want to get back into this series that I've been in, and I know that we've had a couple interruptions for things, but, but that's okay. Uh, we, in your worship folder, there's a Q&A form, and we want to know what you want to know about. And someone had sent us a Q&A form, question and answer form, and they asked the question, what is sanctification, and when will we be completely sanctified? Great question. As we began to look over at this over the past few weeks, you know, we defined the word sanctification. Actually, the most me basic meaning of sanctification means to restore something back to its proper working order. That is the most basic definition, but it also means to be called out, to be set apart for a particular use. It means to be declared and to be made holy. It also means to be purified and set free from sin. Well, how does this happen and will we ever be completely sanctified? Well, Paul writes about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, if you want to read along with me. It says, Now may God, the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible teaches that man is created in God's image, just as God is three parts, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Man is also three parts. Paul makes this very specific in his teaching. As a matter of fact, these are three different Greek words. The word spirit is the word pneuma. This is the part of us that connects with God. This is the part of us that communes with God. This is the part of us that determines our true identity in Christ is what we are spiritually. Then we have the soul. The word is suke 
in the Greek. That's the mind, the will, and the emotions. It's the seat of the personality of a person. Then we have the body. And we have, it's, in the Greek, it's this word soma. And it's literally this, 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 this physical casing that we carry around our spiritual being. And every one of us here today, that we are made up of all of these three parts. Some of our parts are bigger than others. I understand that, and I'll, I'll take the hit later on that. So anyway, you know, I like uh, Pastor Gustavo. He had a shirt. He said, I'm in shape. Round is a shape, right? So um, my son got three boomerangs. It wasn't so he could play with it, so he could help me put on my belt, you know, just throw it around and catch it on the other side. But... Uh, okay. But every person is made up of three parts, but because of original sin, every one of us shows up in the human existence dead to God. Many people don't realize that. We're separated from God, dead to God, and what happens is all of our experiences in this fallen world, and we learn how to live in a fallen world apart from God, and that's what creates what is called our flesh. In the Greek, that is a word called sarx. It's not soma, it's sarx. It's a different word. But through Christ, we now have a spiritual connection back to God. That spiritual connection that was separated from God, we were spiritually dead to God. Through Christ, we are now connected to God. And the spiritual life in the word in the Greek, it's called the Zoe, is restored back to us. And we are restored. We are made spiritually alive to God. And not only have we been made spiritually alive to God, a lot of people don't realize this, but when the, you are born again, your spirit is totally perfected and completely sanctified in Christ. The moment that God imparts life to you, your spirit will never be more sanctified than at, right at that moment. Your spirit is perfected and totally sanctified in Christ. If it wasn't, God could not live in us. I love this passage of Scripture. I've, I've, I've said this so many times, and something worth repeating once is worth repeating a thousand times. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, The one who joins himself with the Lord is one spirit with him. We are one spirit with the Holy Spirit that dwells in us now. And Hebrews 10.14 says, By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. He has perfected us spiritually while he's working on the rest of us. That's good news. Amen? That is great news that we have the spirit of our creator, the Holy Spirit of God living in us. You may say, well, you're not a perfect person, Pastor Rick. Yeah, but one-third of me is. One-third of me is pure Holy Spirit, amen? And if you're born again, one-third of you is pure, perfected Holy Spirit. But God's complete sanctification doesn't just stop with our spirit, or it shouldn't. God's intent on completely sanctifying us. We see that from, this, from the Scripture. May God sanctify you completely throughout your spirit, your soul, and your body. And God is intent on doing this from the inside out. It begins with our spirit, the sanctification of our spirit, but from our spirit comes the sanctification, the beginning of the sanctification of our soul. Now, I had people say, well, I didn't understand there was a difference between the spirit and the soul. Well, the soul is typically defined as the mind, the will, and the emotions. And as I said before, unfortunately, what happens is before we know God, we live in a fallen world. And we have all these experiences and we have all this input through our 
in a combination of our soul and body living in a world separated from God creates this thing called our flesh. Because when you don't have the spirit, you don't have any choice but to live by the flesh. Amen? If you don't have the spirit of God, you have no other choice but to live by the flesh. But as believers, we now have a new source of life that is available to us through the reborn, renewed, regenerated spirit that is one with God's spirit, and it wants to begin to release its power through the rest of our being, as opposed for us being created into something from the forces of the world in, from the outside in. This wants to begin to transform us. The spirit of God wants to begin to transform us from the inside out to where we are being changed and transformed and sanctified. And it bleeds into how we think and how we feel and the deeds that we do in our bodies. But how does this happen? Well, as we talked about over the past few weeks, it begins with the mind, the renewing of our minds. Because how we think affects how we feel. Would you agree with that? What you believe to be true affects how you feel emotionally. And what you, what you feel emotionally has a huge bearing on what you do. Would you agree? Amen, ladies? Amen. <laughs> I knew I'd get an amen out of that. And so if we want to see the soul sanctified, the mind, the will, the emotions, we can't wait for a good feeling to come along to produce holy living, can we? That's like waiting for that good feeling to come along to go clean up the dishes in the kitchen. I'm waiting for that dishwashing feeling to come on me before I go do it. It's not going to happen. Well, some people are real disciplined. They, well, they're just, they got great willpower. Let me tell you one thing, folks. We need to understand that willpower is not the same as the power of the Spirit. It's not. There are very disciplined people that do not know how to operate and stay in line with the Spirit, to walk according to the Spirit. So the sanctification of our souls, it begins with our mind by God giving us a new system of truth and by renewing how we think. That's where it begins. Romans 12, 2, you've probably all heard this. It says, don't be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by how? By the renewing of your mind. Our minds must be renewed in truth. It must be renewed in the truth of God's word, in the word of truth. As a matter of fact, Jesus, on the night that he was arrested, he said these words. He said, sanctify them by their truth, for your word is truth. And we're also supposed to be sanctified by the spirit of truth. Jesus also told his disciples in John 16, he said, I'm sending another, and when he comes, his name is going to be the spirit of truth, and he is going to lead you into all truth. How many people know it's important to know what the word of God says? Amen. If you want to live in the truth, it's important to know what the Word of God says. But it's just as important that we also am sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because let me tell you, if this is a new revelation, the governing agent of the New Testament believer is supposed to be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will never contradict the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will always confirm the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will teach you the Word of God. Amen? The Holy Spirit will reveal the Word of God. It will illuminate the Word of God to you and make it real. So our minds must be renewed by the Word of truth and the Spirit of truth. But our minds also must be exercised into obedience. You know, you think about... How many thoughts come into your mind? 
And not every thought that comes into your mind is from you. Some of them are. Some of them are from the enemy. Some of them are from your past. Some of those are from your friends. Some of those are, are from the world and from our flesh and from the culture. We have all these voices speaking to us. And because we've listened to them, many of us have strongholds in our life, but the Bible says that we have weapons that are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds in our lives. And it says this in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, it says, we capture every thought and we make it give up and obey Christ. We've got to begin to exercise our thought life in obedience to God. If you've got thoughts coming into your mind that isn't in line with the Word of God, you need to buy, grab it by the back of the neck and make it bow before Him. Well, you're unlovable. Yeah, that's why I died for you. No, you're very lovable. Well, I, I'm never going to be a success. I could do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Amen? When are you going to start believing what the Word of God says about God, what He says about you, what He says about what you can do? And when you have these thoughts that come to mind that are not in line with the Word of God, we are to take them and make them bow and be obedient to Jesus Christ. That's what the Word says. We need to be proactive in that. We need to be practicing that. Because you know, a mind can wonder. A mind just, ain't just, just let your mind aimlessly wonder and find out what your mind starts thinking about. But we also need to practice setting our mind on right things. Amen? Look what it says, Philippians 4, 8. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I gave the analogy a few weeks ago. If I kept driving into a neighborhood and kept getting hijacked, I'd stop driving into that neighborhood. Well, every time I drive in that neighborhood, I get mugged. Well, then stop going there. Take another way home, or if you find yourself in that neighborhood, get out of that. And if you find yourself spiritually hijacked in your thought life, take your thoughts off of that and put it on something good, holy, pure, worthy of praise. You can do it. Amen? When you have a lustful thought, you think about something that's pure. You have an untrue fault, you think about something that is true. Too many of us talk too much about what's going on in our head to our friends as opposed to taking that and making it obedient to Christ and begin to setting our mind on what is true. Think about it. How many times do we, we focus on all the problems we've got in our life and we forget about the blessings? Do you know how blessed we are? It's amazing to me. It's just like you can get, in a, you can get an airplane. It's like, Oh, this airplane, it's like all cramped and there's no leg room. But it's like, dude, we're in like a big metal bird that's going off of the earth and it's flying to another city and we're going to be there in a few hours. Yeah, but the pillows stink and the blankets are nasty. And, but dude, we're in a big metal plane and we're getting off the ground and we're going to another place. We forget about our blessings so quick. We forget about the truth of our situation. My cell phone doesn't work. Dude, that phone call you just made went to a satellite that's thousands of miles up in the air and went down to a cell tower and went to someone else's phone in a matter of microseconds, and you're complaining about it being a little slow. Right? Anybody remember party lines? Oh, sorry. So set your mind to right things. And 
for us to do this, this involves a little thing called our will. And that's what I want to talk about today. Because the power of the Spirit, is there a way to put that first diagram back up? I know that you can do some magic back there. The power of the Spirit, listen to me carefully, folks. If you think about the Spirit and we have the soul, the power of the Spirit cannot be fully released into our entire being until the character of the will is changed. And the character of our will is changed through the exercise of our volition and our choices. It's kind of like if you have a piece of metal that's kind of stiff that you start bending it, the more you bend it, what happens? It becomes more pliable, right? And you can even move it and then it breaks. I want us to kind of think of our, our will because the will, if we understand the soul, it's made up of, of the mind and the emotions. The will is kind of the shell around the soul. And until that will has become pliable and soft and broken, the power of the Spirit does not go out into the rest of our lives. Unfortunately, it is true that someone can know the truth of God. They know what it is. They can even mentally assent that they believe that God's truth is true and still choose not to submit to it. Do you know people who do that? It's funny because I, I talk to married couples that are they're Christians and they'll come to me to marry them and, and I'll say, so are you guys like, I try to say it very tactfully, are you, are you playing house? That's how I like to say it. Are you playing house? Well, yeah. So you all are living together? Yeah. Are you being, you know, living together or playing house or being intimate? Well, yeah, yeah. And you're Christians? Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. How do, you, how do you make that work? Well, we know it's not right. Okay. Well, explain to me how you making this work then. How are you making this work? And I've come to realize that people can know the truth and admit the truth that they know to be God's truth and still choose not to follow it. Amen? Think about your own life. I want you to forgive somebody. I know that's what I'm supposed to do. I know that's what Jesus did for me. I know that's what the Bible says. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do it. A lot of these times, these, this circumstance, is, it's, it's a truth issue centered around some misconceptions. I think sometimes people will refuse to submit because they don't understand the reason why behind God's truth. I've realized in my life I don't have to always know the reason why. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's, it's like my kid. I'll tell him to do something. Why? You're not going to understand if I tell you anyway, so just do it. And then after they do it, they understand, oh, now I see. It's the same way with our relationship with God. A lot of times our understanding, does, our understanding doesn't come until after obedience when we say Yes. You know, I don't have to always understand God's why because the scriptures tell me his ways are a lot higher than mine. Amen? I understand that from the word of truth that I'm not going to understand everything God does. 
Or God is not really concerned about it, that he's got bigger fish to fry. Let me tell you, if it says he knows every hair on your head, and I know that's easy for me, he's concerned about it. But we live in a a culture that the new religion is the spirit of tolerance, is it? And we believe that God is actually tolerant of sin. Let me tell you something, folks. Let me tell you something. Let's just set you straight. God is never tolerant of sin. If you honestly believe that, you're believing a lie. You have a a, a huge misconception that's keeping you from entering into, because God is not, a holy, perfect God cannot have anything to do with sin. Sin has to be dealt with. This is why he sent his son. Amen? So we can be blameless because of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Some people think, well, the consequences aren't that bad. Right? They weigh out, or, or, or there's not going to be really any effect at all. The Bible says that if you sow to the flesh, expect a harvest from it. If you sow to the Spirit, expect a harvest from it. We can't sit here and, and, and live into these misconceptions and miss out God's will for our lives. Remember, in the garden, that's a lie from the enemy. Eve, it's okay. He didn't care about that tree. Go ahead and eat from it. You're, surely you won't die. Even if, he, if, it, if it doesn't make you're not going to die. That's what the enemy has been telling us from day one. You can, live, you can have your sin, and it's not going to have any effect on you. It's not going to happen. The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Sin likes to pay off. He's a faithful employer. The Bible warns us not to go our own way, not to lean into our own understanding. Proverbs 14 says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And I've come to realize in my life, the road to life, I've said this a thousand times, and for people that are new, maybe you'll, you'll write this down and take it on. The road to life often looks like death, and the road to death often looks like life. It does. If there's a way that seems right to a man, we live by, by being pragmatic. Well, it seems reasonable to me. It seems practical to me. And, and, and it says that the Bible warns us about things that seem right to us, but yet they're going to lead to death. And the Bible also says, trust in the Lord with what? With all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. You know, when we think about lean, we think about, oh, I'm going to, we think about this. I'm just going to put a little weight on it. The actual Hebrew, where it means to lean, means this. To put all of your weight, I can't do that again. So, To put all of your weight on, don't bank your whole life on your own reasoning and understanding. Don't do it, folks. As a matter of fact, if I was to paraphrase this Old Testament where it says, trust the Lord with all heart and lean not into your own understanding, I would paraphrase it by, that means live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Because we're not supposed to live by the flesh. We're supposed to live by this new Spirit, this new source of life that God has given us. And we're not going to understand all things at all times. And this is why it's necessary to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to release, to be released in the area of our will in order to bring sanctification to the entire being. 
If the will is not dealt with, if the character of the will is not changed, the sanctification process will be circumvented. You will not be living righteously. You will not be living in holiness as God has commanded to us. But because God will not violate our free will, there is always going to be the propensity and the availability to be in a contest of will with God. Do you know that? Man versus God. My way or the highway, God. Anybody been in a contest of will with God? Contest of wills with God? I have. Am I going to do it your way or my way? Anybody in that contest right now? No one wants to admit except me. Because that contest is always there for us to have with God. God's not going to violate your free will. You could say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. There's a couple things that I want to keep us in mind when that, when that contest appears. And the very first thing is, i got four things I want to keep in mind today. Jesus paid a price to free your will and to give you the freedom of choice. You may say, what are you talking about, Pastor? I want you to turn, this is a big passage of Scripture. Turn to Romans chapter 6, please, verses 16 through 22. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version because I really want you to understand. Jesus paid a price to give you, a cho- to give you the ability to choose. Jesus paid a hefty price to, to free your will. Romans 6, 16 through 22. When you get there, say amen. If you don't have a Bible, say oh me. And we'll get you one. Verse 16. I'm going to read this slowly. Do you not know that if you continually surrender yourselves to anyone to do his will, this is from the Amplified Version. Notice there's that volitionary volunteering of myself, surrendering of myself. Do you not know that if you continually surrender yourselves to anyone to do his will, you are slaves of him whom you obey, whether that be to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. And it says right doing and right standing with God. But thank God, though you were once slave to sin, you have become obedient with all your heart to the standard of teaching in which you were instructed and to which you were committed. Notice it says, having been set free from sin, you have become the servants of righteousness. The Amplified Version says, of conformity to the divine will in thought, purpose, and action. I'm speaking in familiar human terms because of your natural limitations. For as you yielded your body members and faculties, meaning both your physical and your mental parts of your body, as servants to impurity with ever-increasing lawlessness, it says, so now yield your bodily members and faculties, your physical and your mental faculties, once for all as servants to righteousness, right being and right doing, which leads to what? Sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. It says when you were slaves of sin, other translations say you were free from the control of righteousness. But then what benefit, what return did you get from the things that you are now ashamed of? You got nothing from it. 
for the end of those things is death. But now since you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, you have your present reward in holiness. Other translations say you have your present reward in sanctification and its end is eternal life. It's saying that you have, as you offer yourselves as slaves to God, you have as a present reward that sanctification that says you can have. Now, I know it sounds like we've jumped from one form of slavery into another, but in the original language, this word for slave in the Greek is a word doulos, which is better translated bondservant. And it literally means one who gives himself up to another's will, voluntarily. Voluntarily, by their own volition. And for us to be experience the sanctification that God has for us, for us to begin to release this power of the Spirit that now lives in us, it's transforming our mind, it's soothing our emotions, for it to begin to change the actions and the deeds that we do in this body, there must be a release of one giving themselves up to the will of another. We must become bondservants to him. And in Christ, because we have a new spirit, because we have a new system of truth, because we have a new nature, we have a new desire, and we have a new power that now lives in us, we now have that choice. Before Christ, all you could choose was between the flesh and the flesh. That's all you could choose. Amen? You could only choose the lesser of two evils. You could only choose between your flesh and your flesh. But now that you've been born again, I died for you, I perfected your spirit, you have the Holy Spirit, now you have a choice. Well, I don't have any choice. I can't choose. Not according to the Word of God. Christ died on a cross to give you another option than just to live life by your flesh. Amen? Amen? But we, for us to experience that in the deeds of a body, we have to voluntarily offer ourselves as a bondservant to him. Most people come to an altar with the intention of nothing more than, I just want to get into heaven. I don't plan to change anything about my life. I don't plan on giving any of my will. I'm, I'm still going to do what I, I just, I just want to say that prayer, get in my ticket into heaven, and me and God are cool. I don't see that offer in the scriptures. That's not Christianity. That's not being a believer and a follower in Christ. I remember Brother Della when he was in, uh, in Haiti. I remember there was a lady that was contemplating on being a believer. And you remember this, Brother Della, that she didn't want to accept Christ because she was living with a man in sin. Remember that? And I was like, smart woman, at least she understands what being a follower of Christ really means, that I've got to offer myself to his will. I've got to lay my will down for his will. American Christians don't look at it that way these days. But if we want to experience the sanctifying power of God in our life, Jesus paid the price so you have another choice. You can choose righteousness. You can. You couldn't before, but now you can. That's an amazing thing to me. An enemy is going to keep you, keep lying to you. You don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. You're all bound up. You don't have a choice. Yeah, you do. 
You ever see the story about the demoniac? Christ crossed the sea. It's a, even though this guy was filled with thousands of demons, he could still come before Jesus and bow down before him. His will was not consumed by the enemy. He could still come and bow down and worship and call on him. So Christ paid a great price for you to have your freedom, your free will back. Second thing I want us to keep in mind when that contest of wills comes up is that refusing to offer ourselves as a bondservant indicates a desire to be the master. Let me tell you, God created us to rule and reign under his authority. Would you agree with that? God gave us dominion over the earth. Who did we give it to? Satan. That's why he's called the God of this age, God of this world. We messed that up, didn't we? Thanks, Adam. Good job. God created us to rule under his authority, but he never created us to be the master. He never created us to be the one that was in charge. And we forget that. There's an old Bob Dylan song, you're going to have to serve somebody. Anybody know that song? You're, gonna have to, you're going to serve somebody. It may be the devil, and it may be the Lord. It may be yourself, which is the same as serving the devil. But you're going to have to serve, you're going to have to bow yourself to somebody. Jesus said it this way, and I know he was talking about money, but he said in Luke 16, he said, no servant can serve two masters. He didn't say, you know what, it's kind of hard to have two masters in your life. It's going to be problematic. It's going to be difficult. He says, no. He says, it's impossible for there to be two masters. It's impossible to serve both God and anything else. He says, you'll, be, you'll love one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and, and, and undevoted to the other. And so we need to understand that when I say no to God, when I know his truth and it's there, it's presented as an opportunity for me to move forward, that if I refuse to offer myself as that bondservant, if I refuse to submit my will, that may be indicating that I want to be the master here. It's kind of a kooky position to want to be in with God, isn't it? When he's God. The third thing I want us to keep in mind is willpower, as I said before, will not, is not the way. Willpower is not spiritual power. Surrender is the key to sanctification in our lives. Look what Paul says in Galatians 5, 16 through 18. This is, this is one of my favorite spirit, uh, scriptures. I know this is one of Brian's favorite scriptures. It says that if you, you'll walk, that if you will just, if you'll just keep in step with the Spirit, you're not going to do the deeds of the flesh. It is that simple, that if you will just keep in step with the Spirit, you're not going to fulfill the deeds of the flesh. It's, it's a very simple instruction. The Amplified says this, I say walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit, responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit, then you will certainly not gratify the cravings and the desires of the flesh or of the human nature without God. So many of us spend so much try, time trying to, trying to not do what we shouldn't do, and that's not what God says. He says, doesn't fo- don't focus on not doing this. Focus on following. Focus on submitting. That if you will submit and follow and keep in step with the Spirit, you don't even have to worry about that stuff because you won't be doing it. Holy Spirit's going to lead you away from that. I'd rather, I'd rather move forward in a positive light and outlook on life than constantly think about the stuff I'm not supposed to do. Amen? 
Look what it goes on to say here. It says, it says, for the desires of the flesh are opposed to the Holy Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are opposed to the flesh. For these are antagonistic to each other, continually withstanding and in conflict with each other, so that you are not free, but you're prevented from doing what you desire to do. It says that when you get, everybody says, well, you've got to fight the flesh. The Bible never says to fight the flesh. It says to follow the Spirit. Because it says every time you get in this contest where you're fighting the flesh, you're going to find yourself doing exactly what you don't want to do. Paul had this problem. You read about it in Romans 7. Remember Paul saying, Paul wrote about, I don't understand what I'm doing for what I want to do. I don't do and what I hate to do. I find myself doing it. Anybody read that passage of Scripture? And we go, oh, God, thank, thank God he understands. No, that's not how we're supposed that's, to. That's, God, no, we're not supposed to find comfort in that. We're supposed to learn from his mistakes. Because Paul was trying to live out a spiritual life in the flesh. He was trying to overcome sin by his willpower, and you're not going to do it, folks. You're not going to. So whenever that battle or conflict arises, we find ourselves doing exactly what we don't want to do. You know what the answer is? It's not to fight more. It's to surrender to the Spirit. That will has got to be broken. And as we surrender, the power of the Spirit is released into our lives. I would encourage you, before you look at pornography, ask the Spirit what He wants you to do. Just take, just take a moment. Holy Spirit, what do, you, do you want me to look at this? Before you say that unkind word, well, just stop. Just, will you, will you try, try this? Just try it. I guarantee it works. Just stop. Say, Holy Spirit, should I say that? He'll say, shut your mouth. Before you have an outburst of anger towards your spouse, just, just stop for a second and say, Holy Spirit, what should I, how do you want me to handle this? Do you know that works? <laughs> Did you know that works? Before you take that next drink or that next drug, ask the Holy Spirit if this is what he really is his best for you. And I want us to keep this in mind. The solution is to surrender our will. Listen to me carefully, folks. When we surrender our will, it is the highest expression of love. How many people love God? You love God? The highest expression of you experiencing, the highest expression of love is in surrender. And I want you to look at what, this, what Jesus says in John 10. Very key. It says, this is why my Father loves me. Because I freely laid down my life. And so I am free to take it up again. You know what? Jesus did that for you. You could say yes to God. You could say no to God. You can lay your life down. You pick it back up anytime you want. But Jesus said, this is why my Father loves me because I freely lay down my life, and so I'm free to take it up again. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own free will. It is the, through the surrender of our will and our life. 
by the submission of our own free will that God gives us the opportunity to experience the deepest expressions of love, not only from him but also toward him. Are you following me on this? God gives us the opportunity to experience the deepest deepest expressions of love both from him and to him through the submission and the surrendering of our own will. It's not because we're forced. God doesn't force us, does he? It's not because of the consequences. That's living under the law. Do the good thing and you get the cookie. Do the bad thing and you get your hand slapped. That's the law. God's taken that whole system away. That's time for another teaching. But it's not because of consequences. It's not because of benefits or blessings. But it's because we surrender our will to the one who is truly the object of our trust and our affections. People want to say, oh, well, I I love God so much. And they try to do it from some emotion. Well, I I just love God so much. This emotional, and it's nothing but soulish. Because 1 John says, true love for this is, for God is this, that you obey his commands. People say, well, he's the Lord of my life. And Jesus asked the question, well, why do you call him Lord? But you don't, he goes, you don't do what I say. That didn't make sense to me. You're not doing what I'm telling you to do. And the words I'm speaking to you, they, they are spirit and they are life. And he goes, I died for you so that you'd have a choice. You don't have to live according to the flesh. I died for you, and I, and I died for you so my spirit could live with you. I perfected your spirit. My spirit can live with you. And all I'm asking you is keep in step with it. You don't have to worry about trying not to sin anymore. I've given you, the, I've given you a better way to follow in the new way of the spirit. Not because of consequences. Not because of you're out after blessings, but because you're beginning to see the love that I have for you. And I'm becoming the truest center of your trust and your affections. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who's working in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God is working in you to change the characteristics of your will. But he's not going to force himself upon you. He's not going to force a holy life upon you. He's not going to force the sanctification process that he so dearly paid for. And I know there's times in life when it may seem there's an easier way out than following him. Would you agree? There's a more sensible way out. I remember when I was in Israel and I went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And some of those trees there are 2,000 years old. I remember standing by this one tree that was, that was over 2,000 years old and I wondered in my mind if this was a tree that, that Christ prayed under. When he cried out to his father 
And he said, I, I know all things are possible. And if there's a different way to do this, if you can make this cup pass for me, let it be so. But not my will, but your will be done. And because he was willing to say those words, not my will, but your will be done, the power of the Spirit and the power of the resurrection was released and available to all mankind. Because he was willing to say, not my will, but your will be done. We can rebuke the enemy all day long. We can memorize all the Bible we want to do. We can sing all the songs we want to sing. But until we come to that point in our relationship that we are willing to say, it's not my will, but let yours be done. Will we truly be able to experience the sanctifying power of the Spirit and the power of the resurrection? Bible says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and is able to bring life to your mortal bodies. It is able to bring the spirit's sanctified, holy life to you. But the question is, God's working in you. It says that he's working you for you to be able to will and to do it. Not only to desire it, to will it, and to be able to do it, but are you working with God? Are you working with him? Are you cooperating with God? God showed me enough love. Amen? If you have any doubts that Christ, that God loves you, the cross of Jesus Christ should remove all that doubt. For it says God has displayed his love in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God paid a hefty price so that you could have his spirit, so that you could have this sanctification, and that when he returns, that you can stand before him blameless. I'm never going to be perfect, but I will be blameless. When Christ returns, are you, are you ready to stand before him blameless? Are you ready today to say, not my will, but your will be done. If we're not, there's two things that need to happen. One, we may need to be born again. We may be at that point that we, we need to say, you know what, I, I realize I, I don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we do, then we need to repent. Amen, church? Whatever area of that life that you have, that you're not surrendering to him, you know you're not your own, you were bought with price. He says you're not your own. You were bought with the price of my son. God's sanctifying power is available to you to be able to consume your entire life, your entire being, sanctifying you completely to 
about your spirit, your soul, and the deeds that we do in the body. But that will has got to be submitted to you. I'd ask that you would all bow your heads for a moment, please. I need some uh, prayer warriors to come up with me right now. There's someone here today that you've not begun a relationship with.